This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. This is Raoul Pal, the CEO and co-founder of Real Vision, and welcome to my podcast. Every week, I'm lucky enough to speak to tons of smart and innovative people in the financial game. I get so much insight from these conversations, and that's why I wanted to start this podcast, so I can share that knowledge with you. I hope you learn from the discussions, and you can always find more in-depth content at realvision.com. Enjoy the show. Bill, as ever, good to see you, my friend. Wonderful to see you too, Ralph. So you've been an investor in technology for most of your life. I'd love for you to Talk us through the differences of how this feels versus the internet, maybe 96, 97, 98, that kind of period where that was exploding versus this. I'd love to get the kind of contextualization of how exponential this is versus that. How does it feel yeah, different? So, so uh, and I'll actually back up to one other wave before that to give a little bit more context. But I'd say the three big main phases of innovation, venture capital funding, changed the world with technology, were, were better ways to move electrons. That was the first wave. The second was better ways to move, better ways to move bits. And the third is better ways to move assets. Okay, so if you think about uh, the, the period back in, you know, it must have been 50s, 60s, 70s, where I the digitize it's basically the digitization of, of everything right that's that's the phases it used to be that you would have stereos and televisions that had effectively light bulbs in them vacuum tubes that were you know they would get hot like light bulbs and you had dozens of them in your television and what were they 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 looked like light bulbs but there were more wires because they were basically steering electrons around to make them do things little light switches inside light bulbs that got really hot and would burn out. And you'd have to go to the drugstore to replace these things on a machine to figure out which one it was, you know. And once people could basically shrink all that down into something the size of your pinky nail, like all of the tubes at once, you could have things like this, you know, and huge amounts of power. So so that was this foundational revolutionary wave where you lowered the friction to um, the expression of logic equations that could produce the wonderful things that we do digitally today. Once you had that baseline, you could build all kinds of equipment out of those chips that then allowed for the packetization of things in the real world. You know, instead of a piece of paper, it became a bunch of ones and zeros sent through the phone line. And you got rid of faxes and you had email. You know, so so you move from elect the physical electrons to information represented in bits. And now that the blockchain has come, uh, which is kind of uh, the analogy would be TCPIP, Transmission Control Protocol slash Internet Protocol, that is kind of the traffic cop that knows how to steer the information around. And, you know, if you dropped an email into the system, it knows to come to me because of the information headers and all that. The blockchain is like that, but it's not just for pages of information. It's for the actual asset 
that's been encapsulated, whether it's a digital asset like the unit value of Bitcoin or the title of a car or a house. You know, so everything can be represented digitally now. The mechanisms that had to be put on top of the transport layer to make sure that the transactions were secure were a little bit different. You know, you, you, of course, you want security on your email, but you really want security when you're moving a you know million dollar thing on the internet. So, so we've gone from electrons to information represented bits to assets encapsulated in packets that are registered on this giant accounting system called the blockchain. And so, I, as I think back to the '90s, uh, it was it was crazy. '94, '95, '96. I had started an ISP, and it was uh, an interesting time because in that era, uh, most phone companies around the world were monopolies that were controlled by their governments because people looked at the phone company kind of like the highway system. You know, it had to be controlled in a governmental way to make sure there was access and all this stuff. And what what happened then was you could suddenly go from just being a monopoly carrier of a pipe to buying a Cisco router and stick it in your garage. And so long as you could get, you know, cut little packets up on that pipe, you became the phone company. And so in an 18-month period, we went from one phone company to tens of thousands of phone companies and Cisco and Portal Software and all these things exploded. And and then people were able to access that gigantic, powerful machine that is the internet and build. And Jerry Yang and, you know, Yahoo came out of nowhere and was fascinating as a media company because people didn't really understand what it could be. They just knew that it was growing fast because everybody came there seeking information. So I think that element of that period is here now um, in a different sort of a fascination with, oh, this is really revolutionary. Some people feel like they have a vision for what it is, like they did in the 90s at that time. Um, A lot of people don't really know what it is, but they know that it's moving and they got to be part of it and they want to go figure it out. So I think both of those elements still exist. I think the other thing that is really different is that in the explosion of the stuff in the 90s, there wasn't really a monetization mechanism. So it was all on the come and the cost structure to put it up was crazily high. You know, trying to build out an ISP just consumed capital like there was no tomorrow. And you had all these big projects to build out these, you know, Celex, if you remember the uh, uh, competitive local exchange carry and all these like digital phone companies that raised billions and billions and billions and had no revenue, but they would go public and they were worth something because people could see the future. Now, if you have an interesting project, you launch it and it's self-funding. You know, like so uh, the on-chain monkey community, we raised, you know, a million. We planned to raise a million five just to come up with the plan and make it go and all that. I think we were oversubscribed at a million seven and it's profitable already. You know, and so so one of dot com, same thing. You know, we, we put that thing together and thought, you know, there's going to be a day someday long term where these music artists and creators want to reach their audiences directly. Uh, that company, I think, got operational about eight months ago and it's profitable. You know, so. So it's really a different world now from a kind of a financing perspective and the ability to gain audience. And also, you know, you're a VC. So basically you have VC opportunities, whether it's, you know, you've been always very early stage. The difference is here, 
is outside of the super early stage, which is still, you know, a VC area, you get to, the average person gets to get involved, which didn't happen in the internet. You had to wait till they went public. And a lot of the value extraction had already happened. But this way, people get an opportunity to get in earlier and sure. to, yes, I mean, there's always risks in every investment, but if you get it right, well, and I think there's a people, much bigger upside. It's a lot more understandable to people too. You know, so in the in the kind of the late 80s, early 90s, because it was more about moving electrons and, you know, things that were uh, kind of software that not everybody used yet, you know, uh, the valuations of companies when they went public were not so high. You know, if I remember right, Microsoft went public at a $400 million valuation and gapped up to 900. And people thought that that was insanely high, you know, and what I don't know what is now a couple trillion, you know, but but you you had an opportunity over decades to pop in like an Amazon, too, you know, because it was a little mysterious. You weren't sure if it was going to really take over the world and you had a plenty of time to find out. And, uh, and now I think, you know, there was this old, old book in the eighties, you know, Peter Lynch, who used to run all these, uh, big fidelity funds. It was one up on Wall Street. Yes. Yeah. So it's sort of like buy what you know. Right. And so at, in the, in those days in the nineties, people would see a silver, you know, like a little square silicon thing. They didn't know if it was a microprocessor or disk drive controller or what it was. They all looked the same, you know, and now. It's it's some it's something that pe- people understand what an NBA top shot moment is, you know. So the nature of businesses now are reaching audience sizes that are three to four, five orders of magnitude larger instantly than the kind of people that could even purport to understand what a Microsoft was, you know, when it went public. So, so the audiences are bigger. The friction around executing a trade or a purchase or being a shareholder has gone down, you know, by a few orders of magnitude too. Um, yeah, it's a totally different world. Does it feel like it's moving faster or is it similar in feeling to you as the internet was back then? It's moving much faster. It's it's moving much, much faster. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, if you think about the uh, period of, you know, I don't remember when Yahoo... What, when it went public, but uh, I was at IVP at the time, and my partner Jeff Yang had funded Excite, and Yahoo and Excite went public around the same time. I, I forgot the year, but it was probably around ninety five, ninety six. I'm guessing at two hundred million market cap and eighty million market cap, something like that. And you know, and then a few years later, of course, they were worth many, many, many billions. But uh, but they didn't have the the growth rates uh, and the revenue scale that the things that are still private companies today have, um, you know, with NBA Top Shot, the GMV, of course, that not all of the revenue mm. goes to them, but you know, just the NBA Top Shot product line at nearly a billion over the last twelve months, that doesn't include CryptoKitties, NBA, uh, sorry, uh, UFC, and uh, and the NBA, you know, so. The enormity of revenue opportunity is is so much bigger than it was then. How do consumers pay for this all? 
Because everything is now getting charged to the consumer. I've been trying to think this through myself, thinking, well, if everything comes tokenized, we have to pay for everything. How does that work? Because we're so used to not paying because we we traded our, our attention for advertising. Um, so, for, you know, utility for, for um, advertising. In this world, you kind of knock out advertising, but you have to pay. Yeah. Now, now in the in the near term, you know, so what's been happening to date is I think because the economies in the token area have been so robust the last few years, the velocity of money in those communities is, has grown very, very rapidly. I don't know what the total crypto ecosystem is worth today, but I think when it was really up there last summer, it was maybe two and a half trillion. Um, with Bitcoin being about a trillion. And I don't know that there's been the creation of two and a half trillion of value in a few years ever before in history, right? So never, never happened before. So it's, I mean, I've just done the, just reworked my my numbers. The, uh, um, the internet back in about 97, which is roughly where we were kind of comparable, was growing about 63% a year, maybe 80% a year. I just last checked um, the crypto market in terms of number of users is growing at 180% a year. I mean, so we're at 300 million users. We're going to be a billion in a year and a half's time. It's crazy. Yes. And, and the monetization capability, because it didn't exist in the 90s in the same way, Sure, there was, you know, growth rate of that level of people coming to look at a screen, but the flywheel of the advertising model hadn't really hit yet where each of the nodes in this much bigger audience growing much faster can transact themselves. So you've measured the, the user count, which is a lot bigger. The Reed's Law part, that's like the Metcalf Law comparison. The Reed's Law comparison where all those nodes are transacting with each other, it's it's like off the charts. And if you think about the way nations that are involved in international trade operate, you know, let's just take the scenario in North America where you've got Canada, America, Mexico, and we'll make it up. Let's say Canada somehow finds some new thing that their economy is just exploding and growing at hundreds of percent a year. Of course, GDP has never grow that fast, but let's say that were to happen, there would be a drag along effect where America would get pulled into that vortex, right? Because there's some flow over the border of people transacting and the people in Canada would be feeling really good and spending a lot of money. And, you know, it's all accretive. So I think that's one of the things that's interesting about uh, economies, that when they are doing well, things are accretive to everybody else around because the wealth effect is there. And I think we've definitely had a big uplift in the wealth effect of crypto over the last four, five, six years since the bust in uh, 2016, 27 or 2018 downdrafts of four years. Yeah. So, th so there's this open question then of, you know, how pro-cyclical is that? And if there's another downturn where everything comes down, does everything contract a little bit more than it might normally? But I think, you know, we are in these sort of early phases of, of cyclicality uh, that are getting bigger, but dampened. So I think the early swings in Bitcoin. We saw it in Amazon starts off with big amplitude waves, right? S-curve moments. Is this a book company? Is it going to survive the internet crash? What is this? And eventually... Yeah. The amplitude of the wave 
shrinks yeah. as the network becomes, you know, more proven, I guess. Yeah, more proven, more real, real transactability with things that actually are meaningful. And, you know, it's been it, it's so fun to see the NFT wave, you know, and I was early in CryptoKitties, of course, and that had its ups and downs, too. But, you know, it's come back too, and I think uh, as the blockchain and tokenization of the the transaction of value with other real world assets starts to grow and starts to penetrate enterprise a little bit more, I think you'll see exactly the effect that you described, which is the volatility, the size will be bigger and the volatility will be less. To give people a great example of Reed's law, it's this. Because mobile phones, they can start sending data at speed. We have the internet. The internet comes along. Now we build this on top. You've got three layers of network effects going on there, which have all gone ridiculously exponential. Because my guess, if you add together all the mobile phone networks in the world, I don't know how many trillion that is, but not that many. My guess is cryptocurrency is probably worth more than all the mobile phone companies in the world added together already. Yeah, I don't have an estimate of that, but you could be right. And I think, yeah. What are the US phone companies worth? I don't know. I think... I'm guessing $500 billion. So then we yeah. we have to go around the world. We're probably yeah. going to get to a trillion, maybe two trillion. So it, that is the exponentiality of how value accrues yeah. on the network on top of the network on top of the network. Yeah, it's this, decentralized, it's this you know, decentralization again, just like the computing thing we described about you know, earlier, right? So what were mainframes worth compared to workstations, compared to PCs, to smartphones? You know, the smartphones blew everything away and the phone companies, the same thing. You know, monopoly carriers were kind of slow and not so profitable. And, you know, as all that stuff moved to the edge, it became much more valuable. And I think the financial system, um, you know, I'm not sure how you measure that, but I think as you lower the friction to the ability to transact, of course, the volume, the GMV grows like crazy. And I think you're seeing that in spades, you know, as in the, in the embedded growth rates of things like the transaction volume and things like a square or a block, you know, whatever uh, the name is today. And uh, compared to the, you know, trying to send wire transfers over, you know, SWIFT. You know, so it's uh, it's it's just it's all poised for low friction, high growth into very scalable markets. Bill, as ever, I could speak to you for hours, and we didn't even talk about one of. So I'm going to get you back to talk about that oh, next yeah. time as well, because that will lead sure. us down to a different whole path of of discussion as well. But listen, as ever, fascinating conversation, loved it, and look, good luck with everything you're doing. It's really amazing. Well, I, I, I'm always honored to be on, you know, on in conversations with you, Raul. It's always stimulating talk, and I think you bring up great questions that help really educate this amazing community and audience that Real Vision has built. Thank you, my friend. You know, with Bill, I get to learn an extraordinary amount of stuff. My key learning here was thinking through the element of Reed's Law, which is the kind of exponential part of Metcalfe's Law. It sounds complicated, but Bill makes it really easy to understand. Hi, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. 
If you enjoyed it, I've got a free membership waiting for you. If you want to understand the future of everything, then understanding digital assets is the key. We're not ever going back to a pre-crypto world. Blockchain technology is transforming everything from communities to healthcare to real estate to, well, just about everything. That's why in 2020, we launched Real Vision Crypto, the world's premier cryptocurrency and digital asset video channel. Right now, Real Vision Crypto is helping more than 220,000 members understand the biggest wealth creation opportunities in a generation and maybe of all time. And Real Vision Crypto is completely free. To get your free membership to Real Vision Crypto, please visit www.realvisioncrypto.com. That's www.realvisioncrypto.com.